KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, October 5th. How could La Nina conditions affect the state's water supply? More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Emergency repairs are on the way for a stretch of train track just north of San Diego County after the cliffside showed signs of movement. But until the repair work is done, train service has ground to a halt between Oceanside and Irvine. Daryl Johnson, the CEO of the Orange County Transportation Authority, said stopping service on this busy corridor establishes an emergency. It is the second busiest passenger rail corridor in the country. Train service is expected to resume next month with construction continuing until next year, but that could change. In the meantime, alternate services are being provided to travelers. San Diego is again requiring people living on city streets and sidewalks to take down their tents during daylight hours. If they refuse to, they risk being given a citation. San Diego police said their goal is to clear public rights of way and encourage people to accept shelter and services. But because there are not enough shelter beds, people are allowed to have the tents up at night. More monkeypox vaccines are now available throughout the county. The vaccine is recommended for anyone in close contact with a confirmed or probable case of monkeypox and gay and bisexual men. A list of where and when you can get the vaccine is listed on San Diego County's Monkeypox website. Appointments can be made online at myturn.ca.gov. More than 11,000 San Diego County residents have been vaccinated with at least one dose of the vaccine. The vaccine is a two-dose series. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. California water officials are expecting and preparing for another year of drought. Andrew Ayers is a researcher with California's Water Policy Center. He joined KPBS's Jade Heinemann to talk more about the impacts of the drought on California. The state is predicting another year of drought following the three driest years on record. Can you put this into context for us? I mean, how dry has it been here in California? Uh, statewide, it's been exceptionally dry. And one of the key differences between this drought and that earlier in the 2010s is that in this time, uh, in this case, really a lot of the lack of precipitation and low reservoir levels are hitting the northern part of the state harder. But what's important to remember is that 
a lot of the state gets its water from the north. So this is impacting the state all across the board from north to south. And the La Nina conditions are also expected to continue through this winter. What are the implications of that for the state? Statewide precipitation and snowpack, you know, water availability writ large is actually not very closely related to La Nina conditions, only in exceptional cases. So I would say the implications of La Nina itself are hard to discern, but in general, we are expecting more dryness moving forward. What threat is the drought posing to water supplies in California? Well, even we saw this year, state water project allocations were very low, 5%. This is posing uh, challenges for agriculture, agricultural users who rely on water availability, both from that source and others. And it's posing challenges for urban water users all across the state. This year, we saw uh, mandatory watering restrictions go in across metropolitan water district service territory all across the southern part of the state and in other areas as well. Um, This is really driving not only challenges for Californians domestically, but also stoking challenges with other states throughout the West as Colorado River also is stressed at this time. You've written about more long-term implications of California's drought conditions on the state's agricultural product. How has the drought already affected the state's water resources there? Uh, so one one of the key sort of lessons from this drought is that um, there's a need to think more about using groundwater resources as storage opportunities. So in wet years, we would take sort of our abundance of of surface water that we have available, store it in underground aquifers, and then have it available for extraction later during drought periods. Um, that's going to be a, a, a key measure or action moving forward to help mitigate the impacts of drought, which have been severe. I think in this year, we've seen over half of the usual uh, acreage planted in rice in the Sacramento Valley not be planted. This has implications not only for those farmers, but also for the communities that depend on that agricultural production for their livelihood. And what about water conservation? So far, the public response to calls for conservation have been modest. I mean, how much conservation is needed to make a difference? And and what do you think it'll take for people to actively take part in that? So water conservation is definitely and an, an undeniably going to be a key fa- uh, part of the solution moving forward. I think Californians did an amazing job conserving during the last drought, and that put us in some ways on nice footing for this drought. Folks are using less water overall uh, on average, but it also makes things difficult because some of the some of the easy options like, uh, you know, replacing water thirsty lawns have already been have already been adopted in some areas. So the additional sort of the incremental progress in water conservation is now in some places harder than it was 10 years ago. Now, that means that people are going to have to get more innovative, um, but also that Water utilities, so so the distributors serving serving urban users, are also going to have to become a little bit more flexible and a little bit little bit more nimble in thinking about broadening their their supply portfolio as well. Um, in addition to stoking conservation amongst their rate. That was Andrew Ayers, a researcher for California's Water Policy Center, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hyman. It's been nearly two years since San Diegans approved the creation of a commission on police practices. Now it's finally becoming reality. Here's KPBS reporter John Carroll. 
Voters approved Measure B in November of 2020. It did away with the Police Review Board and mandated the creation of a Commission on Police Practices, a commission that will have teeth, including subpoena power. It's taken quite a while to get the commission up and running, partly because of opposition from the San Diego Police Officers Association. The union opposes the exclusion of family members and cohabitants of police officers, and they're against allowing convicted felons, if they've done their time, to serve on the commission. But City Council Member Monica Montgomery Stepp says the commission will be fair. I think that the commissioners will um, be upright. The commissioners will be thoughtful. The City Council will meet one more time to approve permanent operating procedures. Then the San Diego Commission on Police Practices will finally begin its work. John Carroll, KPBS News. Tijuana gas stations are capitalizing on California's record high gas prices. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis found several stations advertising cheaper gas to commuters heading to San Diego. The signs are everywhere, written in big, bold letters spelled out in English. Last chance to save on gas. That's how Tijuana gas stations near the border are marketing themselves to northbound travelers. A woman named Mercedes who lives in Mexico and works in San Diego started filling up her Honda SUV in Tijuana six weeks ago. Are you saving a lot of money? Yes, I do. (laughs) Mercedes says that she's already saved around $50 since buying gas in Tijuana. This Chevron gas station near the Century Lane is selling gas for 22 pesos per liter, which, after converting liters to gallons and pesos to dollars, comes out to 446 per gallon. That's almost $2 cheaper than California's current average of $6.42. Sonia Elena Lopez is an attendant at the gas station. She says roughly 70% of her customers are American. Lopez says that Americans tip in dollars. She's already gotten a couple of $20 tips this year. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. And if you want to save your gas, public transit throughout San Diego County will be free today. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more. Public transit has already been seeing a boost in ridership, in part due to high gas prices. And if past years are precedent, Free Ride Day on Wednesday will see another surge in people taking buses, trolleys, and trains. Also happening Wednesday is the Padres' final game of the regular season. The team's marketing director, Chris Connolly, says many fans took the trolley to Petco Park for the first time this season. Obviously, the themes of ease, affordability. I heard that over and over again. Avoiding those downtown parking hassles. The free rides Wednesday also extend to North County's buses and coaster and sprinter trains. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Coming up, the San Diego Zoo welcomes 41 endangered baby turtles that were 20 years in the making. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. 
Elementary students in the Stockton neighborhood of San Diego are enjoying a new soccer field and playground area. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us it's the result of a true community collaboration. The $4.3 million joint-use field was developed in a partnership between the City of San Diego and the San Diego Unified School District. It includes a new synthetic turf soccer field, an asphalt track, basketball courts, and a modern playground near the King Chavez Primary Academy. The play areas will be open to the community even when the school is not, after hours and on the weekend. Joanne Cruz lives in the neighborhood. It's giving, you know, a lot of kids opportunity to, you know, come out, play the sports, get together and, you know, play. The project was mostly paid for by local taxpayers who approved bond money to revitalize the King Chavez Neighborhood School. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance researchers are celebrating their first successful breeding of an endangered Indian narrow-headed soft-shell turtle. The hatchlings are the product of an effort that began more than 20 years ago. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. So this is the turtle habitat. You have a number of different turtles here. Correct. So this is um, basically it's a replica of what you, um, you might encounter in Asia in the Indian subcontinent in particular. A lot of these turtles are... Kim Gray is a longtime herpetologist so at the San Diego Zoo, and she's standing glands, next to the habitat that's home to three Indian softshell turtles, two females and a male. The mother of some of the offspring we have is actually in the sandy pool area there. She's hidden underneath all of that sand. She's using the camouflage to help hide her. And she's big. She's very big. So you can see, um, when you're actually down there next to them, you get, it's quite impressive, but she's about two and a half feet by about three and a half feet. The softshell turtles can top 400 pounds when fully grown. She's hiding in sand, waiting for prey to swim by. When that happens, she shoots out her long neck, snatching and swallowing her meal. This habitat area was designed actually with this species in mind. So we had just acquired them at the time. We were doing some construction and we actually designed it with the sandy beaches and everything with the species we selected for this habitat with them. Thinking in the future, we didn't know when, but our goal was that they would breed one day and we didn't know it would take so long, but we're happy. A long time indeed. She's waited more than 20 years for the turtles to breed, time enough to raise two teenage daughters. Just waiting and hoping um, you, you can anticipate it and you hope for the best, but you're always pleasantly surprised, for sure. The magic finally happened this summer. Keepers found a clutch of eggs in a crude nest on the habitat's beach. Eventually, they isolated 11 eggs to incubate. And then, the surprise, 30 more hatched from a hidden nest in the habitat. 41 turtles eventually wriggled out of their shells more than two decades after Gray first hoped the soft-shell turtles would start breeding. Oh yeah, I got a text and we were celebrating in text. That more was like six in the morning or something and we were all texting each other, we were all excited, yeah. Uh, this is a, a hatchling, uh, narrow-headed soft-shell turtle. Davis Provan is a senior wildlife care specialist charged with raising the hatchlings in an off-exhibit area. The turtles are about two inches long and eager to find high ground. 
Yeah, so for the first month or so, um, they seemed pretty determined to come up on land and possibly bask, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and then after that point, they'll stay in the water and they'll, they'll stay buried under the sand as ambush predators and wait for uh, small invertebrates to come by uh, for them to, to, to pick off. Uh, so we have these little, I think they're black worms, in the water for them for them to learn how to eat, learn how to catch. Part of the challenge now is finding homes for the hatchlings. While they are just a few inches long now, they will get much bigger and much hungrier. Jokingly, it does have a turtleneck. It's a turtle with a turtleneck, but it certainly looks like a, almost like a fabric, like a sweater turtleneck there. And it, again, it's deceiving. The head looks quite small, but the skull on these animals is quite impressive. They have a lot of muscular um, attachments for that powerful shoot out of the neck. Gray says the turtles are a marker species for the river habitats where they live in Nepal and India. If the turtles are thriving, their habitats are likely healthy. She hopes the hatchlings will teach conservationists how to help that species in the wild. Last time scientists really took all the wild data and determined what its status was, was 22 years ago. And if it was endangered then, our concern is it's even worse now. So all of this information we can help share with a plan that should we need to intervene more and maybe start um, these Head Start assurance colonies, that this can help contribute to that. San Diego researchers are recording everything, weight, activity, diet. They hope to learn as much as they can about the hatchlings because this is the first time these turtles have bred in captivity at an accredited facility in North America. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.